You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Merciful Father, we give you thanks for your word. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but your word endures forever. May you speak through the mouth of a feeble servant today, and may your word not merely inform our minds, but transform our hearts to save sinners and sanctify the church. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was a hot, humid day in Singapore, and I was out with my family. We were walking down Orchard Road and made an unexpected stop at a wash door. We sat down in front of a display cabinet, and not long after, three Rolex watches were placed in front of me. And my auntie said, pick one. I felt so stunned and uncomfortable because that one watch was more expensive than anything I had owned. But at the same time, I wasn't hesitant to receive it, nor did I feel like I had to repay it because the best way to receive a gift is to enjoy it. Friends, today through this part of the letter from Paul to the Romans, we're going to see a gift that's so much more valuable than the watch I received or any other gift we could ever receive. Previously in Romans 5, Paul rejoiced and celebrated the blessings of being justified and reconciled with God. In Jesus, all of us enjoy peace with God, And that means we can rejoice in our hope, in our sufferings, and in God himself. And now Paul builds upon those blessings. He wants to hit it home by showing us how much more we have through what Jesus has done for us. And he does this by contrasting Jesus with Adam, who we were without Christ, and who we now are with Christ. Paul wants us to see that there is death for all men, but eternal life through the one man, Jesus. There is death for all men, but eternal life through the one man, Jesus. The problem that we had in Adam is outstripped by the gift that we can enjoy in Jesus. Let's begin by looking at our problem in verses 12 to 14. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is the fundamental problem of humanity? What do you think is the fundamental problem of humanity? Some of you might think it's climate change, others might say poverty, and still others might say racial discrimination. All these are indeed real problems, but as long as we belong to humanity, we all face the same fundamental problem, and that problem is sin, because sin ultimately leads to death. We've all inherited something we don't want from our parents. It could be a receding hairline, excessive sweat glands, or you might be like me and inherit high cholesterol. And just like we inherit certain attributes from our parents, all of us inherit sin from Adam, the first human and father of all humanity. But unlike a receding hairline, excessive sweat glands, or high cholesterol, sin is a far greater problem. In fact, it's the greatest problem for all humanity. 
Look at verse 12 with me. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sin. Adam disobeyed God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He sought to be God and rebelled against God. And as a result, Adam's sin infected all humanity and death entered our world. Adam, as the first man, is the father of us all, and we all share a common humanity in him. So it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not, we all inherit Adam's sin and Adam's fate, which ultimately leads to death. And we don't have to look far to find death in our world today, do we? You look at the pandemic alone in the past year and the amount of people that have died through it each day. But even closer to home, some of us here at church have experienced the death of parents and grandparents and people we love. And one day, you and I will face death too. We won't be able to escape death. It all starts with sin. It all ends in death. Some of you might object and say, hey Joe, if we inherited it from Adam, then it's not our fault, right? Well, no. We can't just blame Adam as if this is something inherited, but for which we're not responsible. Look at the end of verse 12 for me. Because all sin. That includes you and me. We ourselves have sinned. We sinned in Adam's sinning, and we sinned in our own sinning. Now, if you're a first century Jew reading this letter, you might wonder, how can there be sin in the world when there's no law to define sin? It's like getting pulled over for speeding when there's no sign to set the speed limit. After all, if there's no law to obey, there's no law to break, therefore no sin. While the absence of law means that the standard of sin isn't clear, Paul is saying in verse 14 that sin was still there in the time period between Adam and Moses before Moses brought the law. Death is the ultimate evidence of sin. And death reigned not just over all people, but it reigned at all time, right from the beginning. But our common humanity in Adam need not decide our future. Look at the end of verse 14 with me. Adam is a type of the coming one. When Paul says type, he means a model, like a prototype. Adam models all foreshadows a better man to come. And that better man is Jesus. In some ways, the model is like the reality, and yet in other ways, it's totally different. Believe it or not, Marcus and Sarah, who attends our church, enjoys building model tanks. I saw one of their models recently, and can I say, it looked really good, and all the details were there, and it looked so similar to the real thing. But I've seen a real tank, and as good as the model might be, it's nothing compared to the real thing. Just like the model points to the reality, Adam points towards Jesus, and Jesus is far greater and way better. In fact, Jesus is so much better than Adam that if Adam is our great problem, then Jesus is our great solution. Jesus is so great that in verses 15 to 17, Paul calls him a gift 
a gift that is so unlike Adam's trespass. And this gift is not like the trespass in three ways. Firstly, the abundance of God's grace overflows to us. Verse 15. If by the one man's trespass many die, how much more have the grace of God and the gift that came by the grace of the one man? You might also read this as the grace of God and the gift by the grace in the one man. God's grace is expressed in the gift of his son, Jesus. We often think that Jesus gives a gift, but Jesus is the gift. And the gift of Jesus is so much more abundant than our trespass, it overwhelms it. In 2017, I went on a holiday in Indonesia and did a three-day hike to climb Mount Rinjani. Can I tell you that hitting the summit was just absolutely beautiful? But I remember feeling so dirty because of all the sweat and dirt that got all over my body during the hike. So as we're making our way back to our home base, we made a stop at a waterfall where I got to stand in it. I remember standing there, feeling the pressure and abundance of water overflowing over me. It was never ending, and it made me feel clean and refreshed. Friends, take a second and imagine sin as all the dirt over me, and the water as grace which overflowed upon me. That's how much more grace there is compared to our sin. If the one trespass leads to death for all humanity, then the gift of Jesus is far greater than the trespass because the measure of grace that flows to the many far outweighs the extent of death to the many. We receive a disproportionate abundance of undeserved grace. Friends, let's move from the waterfall to a courtroom as we see the second great difference. The gift of Jesus covers the trespass of many. Picture for a second that you're in a court and you're being judged for a speeding offense. Now, if you speed once, you may get a warning, a slap on the wrist perhaps. But if you get caught again, you'll be penalized for it through a fine and you might lose some demerit points. However, if you speed multiple times, you eventually lose your license, won't you? So it makes sense that the more you speed and break the law, the more severe your punishment. So following the same logic, if from the one man's sin, many are condemned, you would expect that from many sins, there would be an even greater judgment, wouldn't you? But no. Friends, look at verse 16. God's judgment followed one man's sin, whereas God's gift followed many trespasses. It almost doesn't make sense. It almost sounds unjust. Instead of greater judgment, God's answer for the many sins is the gift of, his, of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't just not punish us for our sins. He gives us his additional grace. God's grace through the gift of Jesus triumphs not over not just the one man's transgressions, but over the many transgressions. The greatness of grace far outstrips the extent of judgment. And that means, thirdly, that all of us who have the gift of Jesus will not be ruled by death, but we will reign in life. 
Formerly death was our king and reigned over us. But verse 17 says, Through the overflow of grace, God's abundant provision of grace, his unmerited favor, and the gift of his righteousness, Jesus has broken the curse of death over us. He's freed us from its grip. And now not only are we free from it, we actually rule over it. Death was once our master, but now we reign over it. Death is inescapable. What can be more final than our death? Life in Jesus Christ. Life in Jesus Christ is more certain than the finality of death. Death ruled over us, but we reign in life through Christ. Friends, can you see that the gift of Jesus and his righteousness is the solution to our fundamental problem, that is, sin. This means we no longer need to be enslaved to death, nor fear it. This means we have hope for the loved loved ones we lost, and hope for those yet to receive this gift. We've seen that our problem is sin, and the gift of righteousness through Jesus is so much better. But Paul doesn't stop there. In the final section, he wants to show us that the gift gives something so much more, and that is life eternal. If this was a baseball game, Paul brings it home by hitting a home run. In verses 18 to 21, Paul shows us that there's really only two paths in life, Adam or Jesus, sin or salvation, death or life. In the end, there's really only two types of people in the world. And when God looks at us, either he will see Adam or he will see Christ. I wonder when God looks at you, who do you think he sees? Our destiny is determined by the lives of these two men. But when we compare these two destinies, we just see how much greater Jesus is over Adam. In verse 18, we read that there's condemnation in Adam but justification in Jesus. If we're in Adam, we hear the verdict, guilty. But for those of us who are in Jesus, we hear the word, innocent. Where all who are in Adam will surely die, Jesus is the only way that leads to life for all. But it doesn't just stop there. Verse 19 says that in Adam we are sinners, but in Jesus we are righteous. Through Christ's obedience on the cross, God gives righteousness to all who believe in him. So now we have been set right with God. Now you might think that laws are made so that people will obey them and stay on the right side of the law, or maybe even righteous. For example, a speed limit sign is there so that people won't speed or commit the sins of reckless drivers. But look at verse 20 with me. The law came along to multiply the trespass. Paul shows us that rather than diminishing sin, the law increases sin. It provokes sin rather than prevents it. If we're honest, so many of us speed all the time, and all the sign does is reveal our sins of speeding. The law multiplies sin, it reveals sin, defines sin, and displays sin. Friends, what you're going to hear next is the most amazing statement of this entire passage. It doesn't just defy logic, this statement is itself grace on display. 
And if you're going to take one thing away from this sermon, remember this. With sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. With sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. When you look at the world and you see all its sin, pain, and suffering, when you even look within yourself and you see the depravity and sin within us, in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions, however much sin we see, there is always so much more grace. In the words of Richard Sebbs, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And finally, verse 21. Paul celebrates the greatest benefit of Jesus, eternal life. If Adam's trespass introduced sin and caused a spread and intensity across growth and intensity across all humanity, then God's grace not only reverses the effects of Adam's sin, but brings an abundance of blessings. It brings eternal life. And you might wonder what eternal life looks like. Well, let me show you a snapshot of it. Eternal life looks like a world of perfect justice where sin and wickedness will be no more. Eternal life looks like a world free from fire, flood, and every kind of disaster. Eternal life looks like having perfect physical bodies, free of sickness and disability. Eternal life looks like a world where there will be no more crying, no more grief, no more pain, and no more death. Eternal life looks like a city where we will dwell with God and all his people forever. Jesus died on the cross so that sinners like you and me may receive the gift of his righteousness, but also so that we might enjoy life eternal. There are times when we know the gospel in our heads, but we don't believe it in our hearts. When we're so deep in sin that we don't feel like we deserve God's grace. In those moments, we can feel consumed by guilt and shame that's so overwhelming. But it's exactly in those moments that I have to remind myself that however deep my sin, God's grace is abundantly more. It's not as if his grace simply meets and cancels out my sin. No, it does far more than that. It overwhelms it. My great temptation in my sin is to run away from God. But I shouldn't run away from him. I should run to him, for he offers a gift so much greater than my deepest sin. He offers me justification, righteousness, and life eternal. And some of us struggle to receive gifts, don't we? We think of gifts more like a mandatory social obligation that needs to be repaid. But just like how I received the Rolex, can I tell you the best way to receive the gift of Christ? is to receive it with joy and to rejoice in it. Don't feel obligated or pressured to pay it back. If we needed to, it would no longer be a gift. Enjoy and savor it forever. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that you can see that our greatest problem is sin. And the gift of Jesus is the solution to that problem. But the gift doesn't just solve our problem, it gives us so much more. God's love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, 
He giveth and giveth and giveth again. God's abundant grace and the gift of his son, Jesus, is up for you to take right now. All you have to do is to receive it with joy. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of your son, Jesus, that through him we are no longer ruled by death, but we rule in life, life eternal. Help us receive this gift rightly, to receive it with joy. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.